0: Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology and media in Asia. The show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desks. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at Aspirus.co, A-S-P-I-R-U-S dot C-O and Linkshare.com, where you can sell your products everywhere.
1: Hi, Tim. Good morning, Bernard. How are you doing? Fantastic. I'm really happy to join you today. Yes, I'm having
0: Tim Coppone, journalist at Bloomberg in Taipei. Actually, we got this interview through a mutual friend by the name of Josh Horwitz, who came in my last show.
1: Yeah, wow, Josh is uh is an up and coming reporter. That I think a lot of people have to keep an eye on. So, uh you you're lucky to get him on. I'm sure he had some really good perspectives to share.
0: Yes, and actually when I asked him about a company that a lot of my audience been talking about, he actually referred me to you and That's the reason why you're on the show today. But before we start, maybe we just get a start of how do you actually get into the business of technology reporting?
1: Well, the truth is I kind of fell into it by mistake. I don't really have a technology background, but I, of course, had wanted to be a journalist as as a teenager. And through various course of events, I found myself uh, as an editor at an English language newspaper in Taipei, and I left that job within about six months. I didn't enjoy it so much. And I decided to freelance. And at the time, this was back in around the year 2000, I didn't speak Mandarin at all. And I was originally thinking I'd, I'd love to be a politics reporter or a, you know a financial banking reporter, but without Mandarin, it was very difficult to cover that beat. But I quickly discovered that in the tech industry in Taiwan and really throughout the world, everybody speaks English. English is the language of technology. So it was an easier area for me to cover. Of course, the world was going through this dot-com boom, which then became a bust, and Asia was uh, was very much part of that. And so I started covering tech more and more. And then, then before I realized it, it became very clear that tech is the story of Taiwan. And so I was looking at companies like TSMC and Acer and BangQ, which was, you know, coming through at the time. And a lot of companies that, you know, Acer was of course, you know, a growing PC ma- name that was an outsourced manufacturer for IBM and building an own brand name. HTC was just coming up at the time as well so I was really getting into the early stages of of what was happening there in Taiwan of course Taiwan had been doing technology for, for a decade or two and that's really how I fell into technology reporting it just became the natural thing to report on if you're a reporter in Taiwan.
0: So currently your areas of coverage is mainly on the Taiwanese companies that are kind of multinational or also do you cover China as well?
1: I do cover Greater China technology as well, so that includes, you know, the mainland. I spend time covering companies such as Baidu, Xiaomi, and Lenovo, which are, of course, you know, growing and important companies as well. And also the the China semiconductor industry, which is really a, we could do a podcast again in the future about that because it's a fascinating topic. But of course, the, uh, the elephant in the room when you talk about Taiwan or, or China technology is Foxconn. And that, spends, that really takes up a lot of my time in terms of coverage. It's a huge company, best known for, of course, Apple being their major client. But the, the things they're doing, it's, it's, it's really quite a large conglomerate in many ways.
0: Mm, which is also the reason why I got you here on today's show, because many of my audience have been very interested about Foxconn. Just for a quick introduction, Foxconn, or what we call Honhai. Acquisition Industry Co Limited or Foxconn Technology Group is the Taiwanese multinational electronics contract manufacturing company that's based in Tucheng, New Taipei and Taiwan. And it's currently having a market capitalization of US about 42.8 billion and it's number 32 in the Fortune 500 and of course it is a very very interesting company and. We hear a lot about it but we don't really know what it is about so maybe to get a start off tim maybe can you tell us a little bit about what foxconn group as a whole do and what's their vision and strategy
1: Sure. I mean, Foxconn's been going, you know, it was started by Terry Gore. I think most people know who Terry Gore is. He founded it. He's still the chairman and CEO, the major shareholder of the company, uh, as in he owns about, I think, about 10 or 15% of the company. And he very much controls it. He has other board members on the board of Hon Hai Precision, which is the Taipei listed of Foxconn. Foxconn Technology Group is kind of just a a general term for the, the collection of companies that include FIH Mobile, which is a Hong Kong-listed company that makes Xiaomi phones, Interlux, which does flat panel displays, Foxconn Technology Co., which is often misunderstood or, or mistaken for the, the mother company, but Foxconn Technology Co. does some of the, uh, the metal casings for the back of an iPhone. Uh, so there's a lot of companies within the Foxconn Technology group. And, yeah, it came from Terry Gore. He started it many years ago. The famous anecdote is that he started it to make plastic TV tuner knobs back in the days when people actually physically changed the channel on a television. And the background of Foxconn is really in in plastic injection molding. It wasn't in electronics. It was in, in plastics. And to this day, that is actually a core strength. And as he developed the company over the years, of course, more and more of the business of electronics was not doing, you know, the plastic molding, but doing the cables and connectors and wires. And, and now, of course, into much more complicated stuff. And what's interesting, Bernard, is the name FoxCon. Fox, of course, is the animal, but con is stands for connector. Oh, and uh, okay. that's where they really made their money because if you think of today, you look at a computer, of course, every computer has a couple of USB ports mm. and it's inside, it's that little port inside that has certain kind of IP and technology. And a connection between, say, a computer and your iPhone consists of two parts. It's the port, it's the USB port, or, or of course, Apple's own proprietary system. And then there's the cable, which is, you know, it's basically a piece of wire. It's not a very intelligent uh, product. And so that's known as the link or the cable. But Terry Gore realized very early on that these connectors, which is really the socket and plug back in the, you know, the eighties and nineties, this was powerful, important stuff back in the days when printers were flat ribbon cables and Ataris and all those things were using these kinds of connectors. And he got into that business very early and it seems like it's very simple stuff, but in fact, it's really good margins. It's fantastic margins on this stuff. They, They only sell for pennies. But they don't cost a lot to make either. So, when you're selling a million of them in a quarter or 10 million a quarter and you've got good margins on them, you can make a lot of money. And so, that's really where Foxconn started into the electronics business. Atari was one of their first customers. And in fact, one of the ways they won the Dell business back in the late 90s was when they were trying to assemble the plugs, you know, the parallel pins that go into printer cables and that then plug a computer into a monitor back before USB, you had these flat ribbon cables. Terry Gore came up with a way where he had basically the pins would sit in a tray and the tray would jig. And as it would jig, the pens would go upright. They would go upright down into this system and then slot into the cable assembly directly. And the chief person at Dell, who was in charge of, you know, basically procurement, saw this system and thought, wow, that is fantastic. It is so automated. It means they can cut costs and basically gave Terry... Uh, the, the the gig to assemble this stuff for, for Dell, and that was their first entry into the Dell supply chain. It was something very, very simple. It wasn't really sophisticated, but it did exactly what was needed and was very smart. In a way, it was an early example of automation because back then you'd have to have a human being pick up every pin in a cable and insert it by hand and that was of course a very slow process so really that's that's the the genesis of foxconn and it wasn't originally an assembler with millions and millions of people assembling iphones as they do today has actually come relatively late in in the history of foxconn but the heart and soul of foxconn has been doing the components that go inside a device so the connectors the wires and so forth which it's not exciting but it's good money.
0: But when they do all this manufacturing of these components in those early days, do they actually develop their own intellectual property or they actually work with the supplier to be a that's, supplier?
1: Well, that's a really good question. And yeah, they do. And that's a little bit unusual back uh, you know, in that period of time in the 90s. Uh, IP was not really a big thing for, for many of the, the Asian manufacturers. Uh, But Terry Gore did start, you know, investing in processes and, and, uh, you know, his own proprietary ways of doing things, which meant patents. And so, yeah, he did. And it came to the point where even in the early 2000s, when PCs were big and there's this big war between AMD and Intel and, you know, people were talking about, well, which socket does it use? You know, the CPU of a computer sits in a socket on the motherboard and each CPU would use a certain type of socket. And that was, you know, that was important proprietary. Stuff And Terry Gore was very quick to develop the right kinds of sockets that these CPUs would sit in. And guess what? Before you know it, he was actually owning the intellectual property for that. And that was really powerful stuff. So at one point, if you wanted to build a motherboard that would have a certain Intel processor on it, you couldn't but go through Foxconn somehow because they owned that, that little space in the market. And when you have a monopoly or or certainly a large control over IP of a certain part of of the industry or certainly a certain part of what goes into a computer, you can charge a lot of money for it if you like. Or as Terry Gore has often done, he leverages that into, you know, hey, I tell you what, I'll give you this IP or I'll give you this technology, but you give me these other orders. So that's really the way he's built the business. And in fact, when he started assembling the iPhone you know, a decade ago, he basically went to Apple and said, you know what, I'll assemble the iPhone for you. And he took it at a loss. Initially, he was assembling the iPhone at a loss on the bet that he would get more of the orders for the little stuff, the componentry that would go inside the product. And that had really good margins. And if he could get the iPhone order and basically assemble it next to nothing. I mean, he charged money, but he was losing money on it. But get all of the IP and and, uh, the components that would go inside the device. Mm -hmm. He bet that he could make money that way. And that's really been the Foxconn model for the last 10 or 15 years.
0: Mm. So this is not really just a contract manufacturing company, but it's something that they have intellectual property and they are able to make certain business strategic decisions to have companies like Apple to actually outsource the manufacturing for them. Basically.
1: Exactly, exactly. And, and even if it's not necessarily patents themselves, there's certain processes. As I said, they, they're very big. Uh, the genesis of the company is injection molding. So if you're talking about casings, moldings, the physical design, what they call mechanical parts of a product, Foxconn is very, very strong in that.
0: Mm. So I guess the name Terry Goh came out in the last couple of minutes and he's the founder of the company, the CEO, the chairman. Usually in a good company, there's really a great team behind. So are there any senior executives in Foxconn that we should watch out for or even like what directors?
1: Yeah, well, he does have a few people close to him, some lieutenants. One of them is is a gentleman called Dai Jung. has been with Terry for a while, and he speaks Japanese. His Japanese is very, very good, apparently. And he's the guy that Terry has basically sent off to deal with the sharp negotiations, which we have been dragging on for a couple of years. And the background f- for that, a lot of listeners may not be aware, is that Foxconn was very interested in expanding in the LCD business. Every device out there needs a screen of some sort. And at the time, we all thought Apple was going to do a TV. Now, it doesn't look like a TV is actually going to happen. And, of course, a TV is a lot of LCD display area. Sharp has really good LCD technology. Foxconn's LCD technology is not fantastic. They have production, but the leading-edge stuff they kind of lack. So Terry Gore basically wanted to invest in Sharp. At one stage, he was about to take a 10% stake in Sharp. In return, he would get access to to the, uh, the technology and, of course, the the capacity that Sharp has in LCDs. Dai Jung Wu, who speaks Japanese and understands Japanese, he, he studied in Japan, was the lieutenant, kind of the ambassador to Sharp, who had been dealing with a lot of that. So that's one person who's very senior in the company. Another one is a, is a man called Liu Fengming. Now, Liu Fengming is also kind of you know a, a lieutenant to Terry Gore. Most recently, when Terry Gore decided he wanted to get the four G mobile phone business, which is really kind of not their bread and butter at all, being a telco provider at Foxconn is is pretty pretty unusual kind of thing. But Terry Gore has a vision about IoT and and so forth, and so he basically charged Lu Fangming with with you know heading up that venture and and essentially appointed him to be chairman of the company that he was investing in it was a third party company that, that Foxconn was investing in and lu fangming was was the man that they put up to to run that but what's interesting is you you talk about you know who else is senior there yeah. There is not really a succession plan that anyone is really aware of. If he does have one, it's certainly not clear to anybody. Uh, he has said before publicly that he wouldn't hand over to any of his kids. He's got two older adult kids from his first marriage. He now has a couple of kids to, to, in his second marriage who are all you know, under 10 years old, so certainly a long way before they would be able to take mm-hmm. over the company. But he said, no, he, he wouldn't hand over. But what we've seen more recently is his son, Jeffrey Guo. Uh, Jeff is, is American educated. He, he's a very intelligent chap. He's probably in his late 30s, early 40s. He's been charged with uh, running a kind of a small project for Foxconn, but it's the future of the company. And it's, it's a project called Sintrend. Now, Sintrend, it's a two-part project. One is a, sh- a kind of an electronic shopping mall in Taipei City. It sits next to Taipei's famous Guanghua Market. So that's one part of Trend. But the other part of it is that they want to set up an incubator and a VC fund and so forth within the building. Uh, and so that is something that Jeffrey Gore has been in charge of. It's faced a little bit, a little bit of political problems in the last year where it, where Terry Gore has clashed with the new mayor of Taipei City and Sintrend has been caught in the middle of that. And so he's really running that. And, you know, from all accounts, things seem to be going quite well. A lot of people speculate that that might be Terry Gore kind of giving his chance, his son a chance to kind of prove himself, see if he's any good. But prior to that, Jeffrey Gore was not really involved in the business. He was off doing his own ventures in the movie business and other things. But now he seems to be brought back into the Foxconn family and it may be a hint that Terry Gore might be willing to, to consider his son in a succession plan. But beyond that, uh, the theory goes that, you know, if, if Terry Gore was gone tomorrow, the company would be in a lot of trouble. He's certainly got some very solid lieutenants in there, but it's it's unclear whether any one of them would be specifically tapped to step in and, and take Terry Gore's place.
0: Wow. So I looked at the board of directors, but they are mostly in Taiwanese uh, people, right? They are not yeah. really international in terms of by composition, like, for example, SoftBank.
1: Correct. Correct. Now, I mean, if you look at the other big Taiwanese company, TSMC, they've had, you know, Carly Fiorina of HP was on the board at one stage. They've had international names on the board at TSMC. TSMC basically runs, you know, the corporate governance of TSMC is like an American company, the way they, you know, announce earnings, the way they give investor conferences, all that kind of stuff. Foxconn doesn't work like that. Hon High Precision Industry, which is the listed company, doesn't have investor conference calls. They don't provide any kinds of earnings outlook. They don't provide any kind of sales breakdown, nothing like that. Every quarter, they announce the numbers, and that's it. Mm, No explanation. They don't tell you what's going on. And, and so it's a bit of a black box in, in, in regards to that, yeah. And, mm-hmm. and it comes down to, as you point out in the board, it's, it's, it's really all Taiwanese. Uh, they do have some Western managers in certain divisions. They hired uh, a guy from HP many years ago, to help run their notebook PC business, they were doing a venture and building PCs for, for HP out in the west of China in Chongqing, and they brought in a, a Westerner to help run that. They've got Westerners in, in an area, they're doing some AI and deep learning uh, stuff, but, but really there's no foreigners of any sort not just westerners you know not japanese or anything else really senior in the company it is a very taiwanese company
0: Mm. so what are actually the major business lines for foxconn i mean you mentioned about the manufacturing part and then you also mentioned that they started an incubator some kind of like a vc fund is there any other like areas of sort of business lines that they have
1: well, to this day, more than 50%, it's about 50.3% or almost 51% of Hai's revenue still comes from Apple. So that's been the case for the last two or three years. So in the last financial year, which is closed, which we know about, which is 2014, yeah, half of their revenue came from Apple. So the chances or their, 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 their attempts at diversifying away from Apple have, have not quite been successful yet. And that's a product of the fact that Apple just keeps growing. And they're enjoying that. Now, the other part of the business, FIH Mobile, which is Hong Kong listed, it's it's essentially a separate independent company run by a different chairman and a different CEO. That is actually 70-80% owned by Hon Hai in the end. Anyway, they contract manufacture all the non-Apple smartphones. So they make for Xiaomi, they do some stuff for Huawei, they actually do contract manufacturing for Lenovo. And quite a lot of other companies, and they're actually expanding in India as well. In terms of the other big revenue drivers, Inalux, which was previously called Chime Inlux, Inlux was a, a Foxconn company that merged with a couple of other smaller LCD companies. Those smaller companies have essentially disappeared now. Foxconn's taken them over completely they are, you know, they're the driver of LCD businesses. They've got Foxconn Techco, which I also mentioned, that does the, um, the, the, the casings for uh, for Apple iPhones and other stuff. They do metal casings in general. So that's still their bread and butter. Now, in terms of the future of the company, they're trying to move into cloud computing. They've worked with Alibaba on cloud computing and opened up a center in, in, in the center part of China. For that, they've got an IDC, an Internet Data Center in southern Taiwan and Kaohsiung. They're trying to do software. They've been working with Mozilla Foundation, which does the Firefox OS for smartphones to try and do software. They've got an incubator. They've got actually a couple of different incubators in different parts of the company that they're trying to incubate. And these are all attempts to to build a future for the company. Mm. But they're very, very early. They're very nascent stages of development. And they're not yet contributing a lot of revenue to the company. Now, in 10 years' time, I think Terry Gore wants them to contribute. He wants them to be drivers of the future of the company. But they just haven't really got the legs yet. They haven't got the momentum going in these new businesses yet, but they're still trying.
0: I always wonder about this question. So at what kind of scale where a company actually seek to outsource manufacturing to Foxconn? I mean, startups, you can't outsource it to Foxconn because they're so big, right? So the question really I'm trying to ask is what kind of clients usually at what level will go to engage Foxconn as a manufacturer?
1: Well that's that is a really good question because at some point a company like Foxconn, look, they could take a small smartphone maker or a small gadget maker, you know, they could take a Kickstarter project if they want to. But they've got to decide, are we gonna put an engineering team, are we gonna start, you know, doing molds and all that kind of stuff, the capital investment for some guy that's gonna produce fifty thousand units. I mean, the guy who's trying to produce 50,000 units, are they going to, you know, it's all about volume. Is he going to be able to afford to pay for what Foxconn can offer? But an interesting anecdote is that many years ago, a little company called Xiaomi that no one had ever heard of went and knocked on the doors of FIH Mobile. And basically, the the sales guys in mid level were like, who are you, right? At the time, Mm -hmm. Nokia was big, Motorola was big. And these guys at FIH were like, yeah. (laughs) Not whoever, whoever, whatever. You know, we're not that interested. And and this this anecdote came from the chairman of FAH Mobile himself. He told me this in an interview uh, about six months ago. He said we we kind of didn't look at them, uh, but then it got through to the senior management that Xiaomi had knocked on the door, and the senior management were like, "Wow, no, they, they they've got some interesting ideas. We should really look at them." And he admitted, look, that initially they probably didn't give Xiaomi the attention that they probably deserve. But at, at some point, the senior executives at the company said, you know what, we've got to look at Xiaomi. We really need to, to consider these guys as an important client. And so, you know, Lei Jun and Lin Bin, you know, the founders of Xiaomi, you know, started working very closely with FIH. And, you know, to, to quote cliche, the rest is history. You know, they they did realize that Xiaomi is important. Xiaomi had a very unusual and unique business model of selling direct to consumers via the Internet. And that's accounted for a big swath of, of, of FIH's sales. Mm-hmm. And so how big do you have to be to work with Foxconn? They're actually, they've got this incubator. And the idea of the incubator is to get ideas from, you know, the young up-and-coming, you know, ideas people in the industry. And maybe these ideas will be brought to Foxconn or FIH or whichever division of, of the company it suits mm-hmm. And they will work with them and and maybe, you know, there will be a killer product or a killer idea. Mm. And so the way in is through these incubators.
0: And this also explains why, according to some of the various people who cover Taiwan, is that Foxconn actually invests pretty heavily into the Taiwan's hardware ecosystem. I mean, second to Shenzhen probably in terms of like they, I think they have done some investments in some of the companies in very, very heavy rounds in order to get them into the manufacturing at some point.
1: Yes, yes, they have. We've seen a lot more activity in the last couple of years where they've got involved in various types of companies. Uh, going as far as actually investing in autos, which which is a topic we can discuss later, I'm sure, because that's fascinating. But yes, they have been uh, looking at either equity investment or just certainly various types of support, technical support, to get more companies into their ecosystem because they know that they can't just rely on Apple. So you know Xiaomi is you know was was a success story for them they they managed to get into Xiaomi early and Xiaomi grew and they benefited from that so they're looking for the next Xiaomi or if it's not smartphones maybe it's robots maybe it's some kind of consumer electronics wearables gadgets IoT they are looking for that and they are looking out for which one which technology or which product can be the one that can help bring them the next level of growth.
0: Yeah. So I think one of the complexity of also covering Foxconn for you is probably the num- amount of countries that they op- operate in, right? For they, I mean, they have a very, very big operation in Shenzhen where they put almost all of the contract manufacturing. But they, I think from what I understand, Foxconn have factories everywhere. So can you tell me a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, they, you're right. They do have factories everywhere from Brazil to Czech Republic, you know, Vietnam, all over the place. I think at last count, it's 23 different countries that they're located in. But in many cases, and of course, they actually do have um, factories in both Mexico and the U.S., But the the heart and soul is still in China. Uh, Shenzhen has been the hub for many years, but a lot of it's been moving out to places like Zhengzhou. Zhengzhou is essentially the the center of iPhone manufacturing now. It's probably about 60% Zhengzhou, 40% Shenzhen, something like that, and Brazil. They actually do assemble iPhones in Brazil um, for the South American market. Uh, But what they've got in these other places, such as Mexico, such as Czech Republic, is kind of legacy stuff such as PCs. Because a PC itself is quite a heavy product, it do- doesn't necessarily make sense to assemble a PC into its metal chassis in Shenzhen and then ship it to Eastern Europe. And also, given those various types of import tariffs, if they assemble it in Eastern Europe, then they can get by those tariffs and you know, you know, save money or, or be able to sell on at a lower price. So a lot of what they've got in other countries is final assembly. Very simple stuff. You, you know, If anyone's ever built a PC, it's actually not that difficult. You've got the motherboard, you've got the chassis, you, you plug a few things in, you plug it into a monitor, and there you go. So a lot of what they're doing in, in these far-off places around the world, is very simple assembly at the PC level or at the server level. At servers, for example, it's not about saving money you know, on labor in Shenzhen, uh, server is a very expensive product and it's also quite a large product and it has to run you know, at a certain level of, of, of quality. So they would do that kind of assembly, say in Texas or even in Mexico across the border. Uh, so a lot of what they do around the world is, is very simple assembly.
0: And I think that also partially is to kind of distribute the more easier to automate parts out of China, where China actually goes upstream as well, right? For the Shenzhen operation.
1: Yeah, I mean, the key, the the, the big challenge for Foxconn about devolving and decentralizing away from China or even away from Shenzhen is that there's been this thing known as the Foxconn effect, you know. Foxconn set up in Shenzhen 30 years ago. They've been growing and growing and growing, and it's just attracted like a magnet all of these other suppliers that that need to be, not just want to be, but need to be near Foxconn. If you want to supply into the industry, you've got to somehow be close to Foxconn. And in many cases, Foxconn might not be your actual client. It might be HP or Sony or Microsoft for the Xbox or whatever. They're the actual client, but the product has to be shipped to the Foxconn factory. So you may sign the contract with you know, Microsoft to sell a certain part for the Xbox, but the contract will say, well, you've just got to deliver it straight to the Foxconn factory. So you have to be near the factory. And that's been great for Foxconn, and it's centralized. But then, of course, it's a risk as well. You know, you, There's been a shortage of labor, which has been a, a problem for a few years. And you never really want to have all your eggs in one basket. So they have been set decentralizing away from Shenzhen and away from China, but then... Suppliers, you can't have a supplier setting up thirty different factories around the world as well. You know, they don't have the scale the Foxconn has, so that's a risk for, for all the supply chain to to know. Well, should I set up in in Mexico just to you know supply ten thousand PCs a month? You know, for them it may not work to, to do that. And that's the being the the, the the big risk for any of the suppliers.
0: From talking to you and understanding a little bit about how Foxconn have operated, they tend to be very innovative about business processes and how to spot the next most interesting tech to build and to become the contract manufacturer. But internally do they also invest in like for example, robotics, automation? All that I mean, given that they are the world's number, I probably think that they are the world's number one contract manufacturing company.
1: Yeah, um, what well, yeah, they are the the biggest um, by yeah, far. Yeah, they have been. I mean, robotics is two things when when you think about it. Robotics is you know, sweet humanoid kind of you know toys in the home like Pepper, but the other one, robots is like you know robots that have been building cars for thirty years now. To get a robot to build an iPhone is a very, very difficult task. I mean, people go, well, why don't you just get more robots to build an iPhone? It's, <laughs> it's really precision stuff. It's, you need uh, to be really good at sensors. You need to really good, be good at software, process uh, manufacturing and process engineering, They do have a very solid lab. It's in Shenzhen. I've I've had the privilege of visiting it before. They've got a very solid team that is trying to build automation robots to automate as much of the process as possible. They can do kind of the midstream stuff. The final assembly, it's still very difficult. You still need humans to, you know, to turn a screw to put it into the chassis of a product that kind of stuff It's very difficult for a robot to do because the human brain can process much quicker than a, a computer brain can and so the human brain if you if you think of trying to screw a screw into a chassis of the back of a Computer you know your, your mind can automatically adjust the angle or just the speed of the turning or whatever and we don't even know how we do it right it's Mm. the same concept of a self-driving car we just know how to do it humans brains are very good at that but with a robot you have to tell the robot how to do that it doesn't have any sense on its own it doesn't really have any intelligence on its own and so the process of teaching a robot What to look for, how to use sensors. You know, they don't have eyes. You've got to give them eyes. You've got to give them sensors, pressure sensors, visual sensors. And that whole process is very slow. It's very complicated. And the thing is, Bernard, once you've done that for a product, then there's a new product. You know, you can do it for a car because a car life is like five years. You build one Toyota, and it's the same Toyota for five years. You may tweak it every year for a certain, maybe the the bumper bar is going to be a bit different. But essentially, a Toyota is the same Toyota for five years. But you know what? As we know in the in the in the electronics industry, it's a very quick turnaround. It's really the only the iPhone that has the longest life cycle, which is you know a year. It's a very very long life cycle for an electronics product. So if you spend all this time and effort, six, eight weeks trying to train your robots how to you know, build a product, well, suddenly you need to do a new product again. you got to start the process again. Humans, you just need to give them half a day of training, and they're done. All right, all right, I get it. I know how to do this part of the process. So that's really the tricky thing about robotics is is you know, training the robots and getting them up to speed and tweaking it, having the yields where, you know, they're not making mistakes and and ruining the product. So that's really the tricky thing. But they're working away at it. They're very innovative. They're, They're trying all sorts of things to try and make it happen.
0: I think there are a couple of recent events that are very interesting to me because as an observer of Foxconn, I want to get a sense of what they are thinking. So I think the first one was actually, I think you mentioned it earlier about the control of Sharp's LCD business. You talk about the television piece. They got control of it. What is Foxconn's strategy behind trying to gain control of Sharp's L C D business then?
1: Well, the really the strategy was that Terry Gore uh, wants Foxconn to supply more and more parts of a product. So if you pick up an iPad today and you look at it, you think, well, what is in an iPad? The first thing you see is the screen, right? I mean, you don't even notice it, but it's a big piece of glass, right? Mm. And then on the back, you've got the metal chassis. They do the metal chassis for a lot of that. They share the orders with some other companies, but they do the metal chassis. not a problem. They don't do all of the glass. And the glass itself is a sandwich of all sorts of different products. There's a thin film. There's a piece of glass. There's some actual chemicals. There's all sorts of things and then there's some circuitry that you don't notice, but you know, it has to plug into the rest of the motherboard. And then if you're to pull it apart, and I don't recommend any of your listeners actually pull apart an iPad, <laughs> it'll avoid your warranty. But if you're to pull it apart, you'll see what we know is a motherboard, the circuit board. Now, in there, of course, will be the A whatever processor, the A6 and A processor, which is manufactured, it's designed by Apple, manufactured by TSMC or Samsung. And then inside there will be all sorts of different components. Some of that comes from Foxconn, some of it comes from, say, Broadcom or Qualcomm or a lot of, you know, STMicro. The sensors might come from STMicro, the European company. But then a lot of it is, is kind of, you know, dumb, simple electronic stuff. And Foxconn wants more and more of that, more and more of what we call the bill of materials. You know, if you, if you're to pull apart a product and you look at, you know, the ingredients inside it, we call it the bill of materials and you can tally it up. I supply and all sorts of analysts to pull apart a product every, every time it comes out and say, well, this is what's inside. It would cost you this much. And they come up with a dollar figure of, of the cost of all the products and in, uh, parts inside a product. Foxconn wants a greater share of that. And if anyone was to go to the iSupplier website and pull apart, you know, look at the the teardown of an iPhone or an iPad, you'll see that a very big part of the cost is the LCD screen. Foxconn wants a share of that that's really what it comes down to they want to get part of Mm -hmm.
0: that how does that align say someone like Samsung who's supposedly like they are the expert in screens but I I guess they are more into the technology of evolving different kinds of screens eh?
1: well it basically makes them a direct (laughs) competitor Samsung is a direct competitor to Sharp which is a direct competitor to LG Display, which is a direct competitor to Japan Display Inc., known as JDI, a direct competitor to Interlux, which is Foxconn's own company, AU Optronics, a Taiwanese company, even you know Chinese upcomers like you know, BOE. They're all competitors to each other. And so you know if Terry Guo can have the LCD technology and the manufacturing capacity, he can go to clients like Apple and say, you know what? I've already got the assembly, I've already got the casing, give me the LCD order as well and I'll cut you a deal, right? It's all about, you know, uh, volume. So if you can go to Apple and say, you don't need to go to all the other guys, I can do it all for you. I can be the one-stop shop for all of the materials and components in your product, then Terry Gore can get that share, he can maybe offer a discount, and he can consolidate that. And in theory, Apple would go, great. Hey, you can do it all. I don't need to go anywhere else. You know, that's, that's what Terry Gore is betting on.
0: I mean, the LCD business is a bit easier because it's something that is more direct, relevant to our lives, like the iPad screens. But what about the case of having Foxconn's thinking behind, say, the joint investment with Alibaba on SoftBank's Pepper?
1: Yeah, no, that's that's a really good one. I mean, Alibaba, of course, run by Jack Ma, SoftBank run by Masayoshi Son, yeah. uh, and then you've got Terry Gore. And, and the two people, everybody who, who tells me about what Terry Gore, um, you know, who he looks up to. I mean, this guy's, you know, the king of industry, right, Terry Gore. And it's, it's fascinating when you, you talk about people like this. Who do they look up to? Terry Gore looks up to two people, Jack Ma and Masayoshi Son. And so for him to be able to, to, to be in a joint venture with those two is just is, is a, a dream come true. And Pepper is the future of electronics in many ways. Maybe it's not the Pepper robot itself, but you're talking about consumer electronics. You're talking about you know artificial intelligence, various types of sen- uh, sensors. You've got IoT. In a way, Pepper is an IoT, right? It is a, a, a device that is going to connect to the internet. It'll tap into cloud computing. In theory, Pepper can pull information from a cloud, from a server, and deliver it to its consumer, to its user. It can get information from its surroundings and upload it to the cloud and allow the cloud to process it. So in a way, Pepper is the future of what Foxconn wants to do as much as what SoftBank and Alibaba want to do. So being in a joint venture with them, it's not just about, oh, we get to make these gadgets. It's about we can learn from each other. They can learn from SoftBank, which, you know, their, their SoftBank is essentially a telco operator. They can learn from that. Jack Ma, of course, is big in the internet. You know, he knows the internet very, very well. Terry Gore from learn, can learn from Jack Ma and what Jack Ma is doing in the internet. So it's really a mutual learning experience for each of them. And that's why it's kind of the dream team. If you put those three together, uh, they can do all sorts of things.
0: I thought one was interesting in this joint investment is that they complement each other's strengths because I guess Alibaba is the e-commerce store that can sell a Pepper robot and Foscon can manufacture that robot. And software yeah. is the one giving the technology.
1: Exactly. It's 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 a very mutual relationship where they can all uh, play off each other.
0: Yeah, and, and it's pretty interesting. So I kind of, had sort of thought about this always, is that um a lot of the Asian innovations, for example, the mobile phone that was pioneered a lot in by the entity Docomo, got brought over to the US and come back to buy them as the Apple's iPhone. I guess people talk a lot about the the mobile technology, I guess, do you see because of this kind of alliance coming by, actually, Asia innovation may have a chance instead of US leading in robotics, it might be Asian robotics actually leading for the first time?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. I think that the greater China and Asian manufacturing scene and electronics industry, people say, oh, they're just ripping off Apple. They're just ripping off the the Westerners. And for a while, maybe that was true. But there is a lot of innovation going on. Mm. If we look at the internet space, the Chinese internet companies, BAT, Baidu, Alibaba, Tencent, are very innovative. They're trying a lot of new things. Then you throw in Xiaomi. People just say, well, Xiaomi's just copying Apple. You know, maybe from design that might be, you know, a reasonable belief, but. They're very innovative purely in the business model. I mean, what Xiaomi is doing in terms of business model or selling direct via the internet was very unusual. And you can't discount business model from the product itself. We're going to see this more and more where the business model is as much about the technology as anything else. iTunes itself is a business model as much as it is a delivery of music. Uh, and so we're going to see this more and more in the region. And we're going to see things like... You know, Pepper Robots, IoT, the world's biggest drone maker, DJI, is a Shenzhen-based you know, Chinese company. I mean, who would have thought that drones would be a thing? But they are. They're huge. I mean, it's a growing market, and we're just seeing the start of what drones are going to be able to do. Mm. I mean, there's so many Kickstarter campaigns now trying to do various types of drones. It's very hot. That's a Chinese company that's big in drones now. And we're not really there in cars yet. But of course, we know that the Americans want to do a lot in cars. Elon Musk, of course, with Tesla. Yeah. Apple is looking at doing something in cars. It's, it's unclear exactly what, but they certainly want to be in that space. But we're also, you know, the, the Chinese are not sitting around doing nothing in cars. And of course, the Japanese are the kings of cars, aren't they? So yeah. there's been definitely a lot of innovation there. So I
0: I have this, so this is the part where I want to ask you. So recently Elon Musk made this comment that you can't build a car like the way you make phones. I guess the the question is more of is it really true? Because it is actually still possible with Apple being an innovator, not just in how in the car itself, but also the manufacturing and the way to put together the cars. Can Foxconn actually get that capability to deliver a car instead of phones?
1: Well maybe they could but do they want to i mean setting up the infrastructure to build cars is is expensive you basically have to become like a toyota hmm. you know massive robots massive production lines all the stuff to do it i know that terry gore does want to work with elon musk on various things they're actually doing they are supplying some things they're supplying parts of the component to the electronics inside the dashboard you got to ask yourself: Does Terry Gore really want to make tires and sell them to Elon Musk? Does he really want to make wheels and hubs? Does he want to make axles? If you really, if you think of a car, what's in a car? You pull it apart. What does it consist of? It consists of four wheels, a steering wheel, a chassis, axles. You know, an engine. You know, a traditional car. Of course, it's a petrol engine. A Tesla is a an a an electric engine, various types of capacitors and battery systems and electronics, then you've got seats and, you know, you need a, all the other stuff that goes into it. You've got to ask yourself, would it be really be worth it for Terry Gore to go out and make leather seats for a Tesla? Well, I mean, it probably wouldn't make sense, but they certainly can and are supplying parts of the car. And if Tesla decides that we're going to do the final assembly ourselves, Maybe it's not worth it for Foxconn to come, you know, go and compete or pitch for that business to actually put all the parts together and bake the cake for them. And Elon Musk may have a point, yeah, you can't put it together like you can do with an iPhone. Mm. You can't OEM it. But maybe that's not the point. Maybe that's not where the value add is. Is the value add in a Tesla being the person who has the factory that puts all these parts together and screws the wheel into the hubcap or into the axle? Maybe the value add, certainly with a Tesla, is the electric motor and the the technology that goes with it. It's in the car dashboard. I mean, a car, a $1,000 of of product is just in the dashboard, the screen and the electronics and the audio and, and the Wi-Fi and the Bluetooth and the GPS. There's a lot of value in that. And so Foxconn can provide a lot of that, and they wanted to provide a lot of that. And in fact, they've invested in a, in a Chinese company called Harmony Auto, and this is a, a Chinese car maker, and they're working together on electric vehicles. So they're certainly trying to build a lot of the technologies and hoping that they will have technologies that Elon Musk may want someday. Or even Apple may want it too. Or Apple may want one day, exactly. Exactly.
0: <laughs> Okay, but this is the penultimate part of the conversation. I wanted to, because one of the things I really liked about Foxconn is that it actually invests in its local startup ecosystem. And what what is even better is that it's actually investing in, in strengths, which is Taiwan, which is a great hardware startup ecosystem. I've heard it many, many times. So actually, how active is Foxconn with the Taiwanese hardware startups? And I mean, do they also invest in other things other than hardware?
1: They do invest in things other than hardware. I mean, they've invested in, in things from, like, you know, movie studios to, to game makers and so forth. It really comes down to which division of Foxconn in many ways. It's 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 not just one Foxconn. There's many divisions, mm-hmm. and one part of Foxconn does PCs. Another part does, you know, purely Apple, and, and others just do a componentry. And so there's a few different divisions of Foxconn that are doing VC work and incubation work. And they do realize that it's not just hardware. It's not just, you know, putting uh, you know chips inside uh, gadgets. They want to do the software as well. They are looking out for it. They're doing a lot of it on their own. They're hiring staff to, to go into their own, uh, into the company themselves. And they are looking out for opportunities and they haven't invested a lot yet They've, they have done some investments i think we'll probably see in a couple of years more investments as sin trend which i talked about gets mm. going with their incubator in, in taipei city jeff ward seems to want to invest in in some in, innovation there whether they can manage to get it happening whether whether startups want to work with foxconn i mean that's the other question maybe they want to go with someone else you know some other vc or incubator that made us think that you know they're a better choice for them that's the other question foxconn's competing for access to startups they're not the only one that you know a startup would necessarily want to go to so foxconn has to make the case to various startups that you should come with us and and that's something that uh, they also have to work
0: on i guess also with a lot of recent successes for example like google the electric scooter that's from taiwan you actually see a much more bigger activity in taiwan's hardware startup
1: we are seeing a lot more in the startup scene in taiwan in the last couple of years the government is very involved they're getting behind it they're throwing money at it they're sponsoring various things they're starting up various kinds of programs it's very early days i mean you, you can't you don't start up and become a billion-dollar company overnight. You know <laughs> that I don't know when the first unicorn is going to come out of Taiwan. It might be a Taiwan dollar unicorn, and, and you know the Taiwan dollar is 30 to the US, so it'll be 30 times smaller. But you know there may be a unicorn coming out of Taiwan one day. I think a lot of people would love to see that happen, and I would love to write that story of the first Taiwan unicorn. But it's early days, and mm. and I think people will need to be very patient mm. before they see it happen.
0: Well, at least they have a multinational, which is in 30 years ago, it's a technology company called Foxconn, right?
1: <laughs> right, exactly.
0: Yeah, but okay, I'm sure I have to get you back to talk a lot m- more about even the semiconductor part because I know you cover a lot on TSMC as well, which is another company of interest on mine as well. So Tim, help my audience, how do they find you?
1: The easiest way, honestly, is to follow me on Twitter at Culpin. so that's T-C-U-L-P-A-N. Uh, I tweet most of my stories there, and uh, and so you can probably follow me there. That would be the easiest way.
0: Mm. You can find me at c w or at com, or subscribe to us at Analyze Asia, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E, Asia. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Acast. And please leave a, your comments and give us a great rating. And now we are on Product Hunt as well. So, Tim, once again, thank you very much for coming on. I,
1: I learned a lot from you about Foxconn today. Thanks, Bernard. I look forward to coming back again one day.